Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening, thanks for tuning in, thanks for downloading, thanks for following. It's Justin Hahnemann, the ContenderCast, shining a light, bright ideas. Today in the alcoholic beverage space, I can't even wait to unpack this brand with you. On the podcast today is Chris Pellegrini. He's the founder of Honkaku. Spirits. I hope I said that right. If I didn't say it right, he's going to say it right in a minute. But Chris, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Cheers. Thank you very much, Justin. And you were you were very good with your pronunciation oh, so right. far. So far. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, so I'm one for one. Um, and it's so great to meet you. And and Chris is coming to us this morning all the way from uh, Tokyo, Japan. So um, really, really cool that we're able to make this happen. And I'm, I'm so excited to, to really dive into your company and the brand and like how you're going to market and everything. Um, but before we, we rush there, how about this? Share a little bit about your background and how you even got into the, the beverage space. All right. So... Uh, Bristol, Vermont, born and raised. <laughs> Bristol, Vermont is famous for a couple of things. One of them is recycling picked up by horse-drawn carriage. Another is outhouse races on the 4th of July. That's right. It's, it's uh, rolling outhouses that race down the main street. And uh, that's part and parcel with Bristol culture. A lot of nice people there too, but only about 2,000 of them. So pretty wow. tight community. I learned something yeah. new. That was That's fascinating. <laughs> you should go. I mean, the, the fall foliage is amazing. It's probably almost over now, to be perfectly fair. It is over now. It's right, almost November it's ski 23rd. season now. But yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then I ended up, um, long story short, I started home brewing before I probably was legally allowed to. I believe the statute of limitations has lapsed on that. <laughs> and I turned that into a an apprenticeship at Otter Creek Brewing when I was still a teenager. Um, so I got into the industry pretty young. I was an apprentice and I was learning every part of the trade. I was learning everything from the theory behind uh, basically creating craft beer recipes all the way through packaging and and you know the entire logistical side of things and then one fateful week our lead brewer wrecked his back couldn't lift heavy heavy bags of of grains anymore and then our second brewer in the yeah. same week and i kid you not left the company to join the circus no. as you do <laughs> join the circus he wow. wanted to be a okay. clown he always he wanted to <laughs> and so all of a sudden wow. our little company up in middlebury vermont had no brewers right so the ceo came in he was he started the business as a home brewer and he said does anybody up in here know how to brew and little <laughs> little teenage me was like i, I do, do. <laughs> no way. and that was the beginning of my career as the youngest commercial brewer in the united states That's too young crazy, to drink what i was dude. making right <laughs> wow everyone else Legal. left and you just became the guy right they just, they got out of the way um, by accident or on purpose. And wow. then I was on the brewing tower at night. I was on the platform at night. I had the night shift. It is scary in there at night. I'm, I'm not going to, I know I sound like a really tough guy being a, <laughs> a commercial brewer. It's scary in there with all the lights off and there are weird sounds. Oh God. You know, who knows what's happening in those shadows, but I did that for a while and I was the most pretentious most stuck up most annoying underage beer snob you've ever met in your life 
Nice. You, you could you could not talk to me about Rolling Rock. Are you kidding me? Get that out of here. <laughs> you, that's pretty funny. That's great. So how long did that so, go? Uh, so how long went did you for get a to while. do that? It went for a few yeah. years. I made it through university kind of doing that um, nice. whenever I was back nice. home as well. And then ended up ended up in Japan. No, that's not true. That's not true. I fast forwarded. Yeah, I ended I know. up in South what, did you, Korea. Okay. And how did you end up, up in South Korea? Korea? Just wanted to experience a part of the world that I hadn't seen before. So I ended up working over there for a couple of years. Boy meets girl. Girl really wants to move to Japan. And boys like, sure. So we ended up over here a few years later, That's a couple hilarious. years later. That was back in 2002. Got it. And we planned to be here for a year. One year became two, two became five, five became a mortgage. And we are here 20 years later. <laughs> and did you stay in the beverage space during all of that? Or did you say goodbye to brewing when you left to go to South Korea? That's, that's a great question. I actually am from a family of educators. Everybody in my family is a, a teacher, nearly, at least until my generation. And then most people got out of it. But I ended up staying in education, went and got a master's degree in, in um, language teaching, and, and then ended up in Korea as a, as a teacher, and then moved over here. And the easiest way for me to continue to, you know, just to bring money in was to sure. continue teaching, yep. which I love. Make no mistake, I love it. <laughs> right. um, there is little that I enjoy more than being in front of people who are required to listen to what I'm saying. Um, and I, you know, to this, to this day, I, any chance I get, I'm, I love, I love doing lectures. I love doing sure. seminars. I just love it. I think that you've got a lot of opportunities for that, right? Being an entrepreneur now. I mean, it's a, it's a whole different story. What definitely you're true. Definitely true. So, okay. So you're in Japan um, with the boy meets girl story, which I love, <laughs> and with mortgage. Um, how did you decide <laughs> to get back into beverage, into spirits specifically? Like, what was the linkage there? Yeah, that, I well, I came over here. I had never heard the word shochu before, right? And that's that's what that's the main thing that I do now: shochu, s h o c h u, shochu, shochu, and whiskey. Japan's right? indigenous two, spirit. Yeah. Yep. And when I first came over here, I. I wanted to learn a little bit more about sake because I had had some sake in the States. It wasn't very good. Nobody <laughs> knew how to serve it over there in the 90s. And we used to call it dirty feet because it was so off. Oh, I mean, gross. it was really, really bad stuff. Yeah. It was oh. almost like a rite of passage when you went to a quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes right now, yeah. Japanese <laughs> restaurant, <laughs> which right. really was not in many cases. And they would heat it up. It was terrible. And that's what I thought sake was. So when I came over here, I was like, I need to get the real skinny on this. And I was blown away by the variety and the quality. And the just, it's like, oh, this is so good. Wow. So I studied that for a few okay. months. And when I say study, it means I, I mean, I drank a lot. And then one <laughs> fateful day, I was in what had, was slowly becoming my regular joint for just drinking kind of in the evening. And the the guy who runs the place it was raining nobody was else was coming in he's like okay tonight we're gonna try this and i spoke you have to understand i spoke like four phrases of japanese at that point <laughs> right. i had only been here for a couple of months and i had only planned to be here for a Domo year arigato, so, yeah like this, and i you know. 
Yeah, I learned. I think the second one was uh, nashi de kurasai, which means don't put any foam on my beer. I want a glass of beer, not a glass. <laughs> that was your of second foam. phrase. That was my second nice. phrase. And so I, he pushed a glass instead of sake. He's like, tonight we're drinking this. And it was barley shochu. And I took one whiff and I was like, that's, this is a spirit. He's, and he didn't understand what I meant. I didn't know how to pronounce spirit correctly. And so he's like, just drink it, weirdo. So I, I sipped <laughs> nice. that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, okay. I, I don't know what that's made from, but it's grainy and it's, it's kind of good. Um, really toasty and nutty and, and, and a little bit of honey. And he's like, oh, geez, foreigner didn't hate that. Let me find him something that he hates. So he turns around and he, he, he got an, a different type of show to and he poured that. And, and I took one whiff. I was like, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. This is not shochu. I think you screwed up. And what he had done is he had poured me a sweet potato shochu. So first oh, was barley, second was sweet potato. Okay. And it's a single pot distilled spirit, okay. meaning one, just a single pass through the pot still. It keeps a lot of the flavor and aroma from the fermentation. So a barley shochu smells like barley. A sweet potato shochu does not smell like barley. And that is... <laughs> was just i was like wait a second what is this they're these are both shochu he's like yeah i'm like how they're so different he's like i don't i don't know this is a sake bar i'm like yeah but you gave me shochu you should be able to tell me about it so then one thing led to another within a month i'm down in kyushu which is is basically ground zero for making the all of the premium authentic shochu which is called honkaku shochu the name of our company is honkaku spirits meaning authentic spirits and this is a 500 plus year old tradition and there are on this one island of kyushu where i went seven prefectures close like well over 200 distilleries wow and in in kagoshima alone which is smaller than connecticut they got like 108 active ones. It's crazy. Wow. So who knew, I was right? just like, how have I never heard of this before? <laughs> right. This is immense. And for me, I very quickly, as I started to uh, visit distilleries, I started to recognize some things from my brewing past. Okay. I was like, I get it. This is backbreaking work. This is small batch work. This is made by hand. Right. This is stuff that people will line up for. Wow. I can respect this. Right. And that was the beginning of the rabbit hole for me. And it it just has not relented (laughs) since then. Oh, that's so cool. I love hearing the backstory. Um, and, and it's interesting. So you, you go there, you're, you see the possibility, you're thinking, okay, there could be a market for this. There definitely would be, this would be a unique offering. Like what was the first step to kind of building your own brand to launching your own business in this space? Well, you know, it was before, before I even got to that headspace, I was more in the educational realm. I was thinking, okay. I just want to spread the word about this. Oh, this is got the it. biggest thing. <laughs> right. I this found is the this biggest thing, thing going. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. It, I, I did, this was later on, I learned this, but from 2003, more shochu and awamori had been sold in Japan than sake wow. every year. Wow. So it was the biggest secret going in the Japanese culinary universe. It was the the last really big thing. And it still kind of is to this day. Wow. It's really not known outside of Japan, but it was Shochu. one of those things that yeah. I found. And I was like, why do people not know about this? I need to help spread the word. The word so I started right. just doing tastings, just organizing little parties to introduce different brands that I had. You know, I met the makers down South and I want to introduce these products. And it, took a long time. I did that for years, ended up writing a book, 
ended up traveling all wow. over the world as an, an uh, you know, a government and designated ambassador for the category. And it was it it was a long time coming. And then along the way, I met I met Stephen Lyman, who's a dear friend of mine. Um, we are just we're constant collaborators, best of friends. And he was independently in New York City, turning himself into the doppelganger shochu nerd <laughs> that I was cultivate that I was fermenting myself into over oh here. Gosh. And we were kind of doing that completely independent like of each separate. other. Separate. Yeah. And then we ran into each other a couple of times and then we realized, oh, we're we're kind of like the same person in different bodies. And then we became <laughs> collaborators. And and then we're like, we gotta, we gotta make this happen faster. We gotta get the word out quicker. Cause this is just too damn slow. Right. And it's not gonna get any it's not going to move with any urgency unless we do it ourselves. So that was start, the beginning of the thought process. We both saw the writing on the wall, but to be perfectly honest, we were both academics. Sure. We both approached this from an, from an academic perspective. Got it. And we were not ready to take the leap. I think that was the thing is because it's like there, there's quitting of jobs and right. losing of health insurance. <laughs> right. And Spending of money. Do this like... <laughs> write a business plan and that's, right. that sounds messy yeah. um so it was it there was a concern i guess we were gun shy yeah. um so no doubt it took I a while imagine. for us to get us get there uh that's okay though i mean that's that's what's so fun about hearing these stories right it's kind of like what we're you know what, what led to it um where was the market for it at that time in other words like I wasn't that familiar with it. And are consumers familiar with it here in North America or other geographies? Or is it something that you see just kind of that potential growth? And as people learn about it, they're going to love it. You know, what, what's your thought around that? That's a, I love that question because we've been traveling particularly to the States for many, many years and doing events and tastings and seminars and all sorts of things, sometimes teaming up with the Japanese government and JETRO, the Japan External Trade Association or organization, and then, you know, other entities, the the embassy in Washington, D.C., for instance, sure. and everything in between. And it was up until very recently, it was a situation where, well, Stephen tells a story about how he was at Bar Convent Brooklyn in 2018, and he was at a at a booth, and he had a, a bunch of decent shochu in front of him, and he was trying to pour samples and get people interested, and he was basically chasing people around the hall, like, "Hey, you want to taste this?" And he was like, "No, no, don't touch me," <laughs> and, you know. And then, and it was like it was pulling teeth to get people right. to even to try give you 30 seconds. Interesting. And it was that way across the country. It's been that way in many parts of the world. When you're working, when you're dealing with trade, it's a little easier when you're dealing with bartenders, bar yeah. managers, buyers, they have more time for it. But if you're dealing with consumers, you're tending, you tend to deal with a lot more preconceived notions. Uh, notions. Totally. Because they've had the dirty feet, they've had the dirty feet taste and the, you know, the well, bad even product. worse, Ugh. even worse. Do you know about the, the soju labeling thing in California? No, tell us. This is wild. <laughs> this is wild, man. So California in the in the 90s, they changed their soft license so that you could serve Korean soju or anything that said soju on the label on a soft license which is huge. So is spirit, yeah, right? Totally. Anything 24% ABV or lower that says soju on the front label in California state, you can, if you have a beer and wine license, you can serve soju too, which means, hey, low proof cocktails. That's a boon. Wow. Shochu makers like, oh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> so they bottled their stuff 
1% lower. They fallaciously wrote soju on the front oh, rather nice. than shochu. I see. And generations of consumers have never known the difference ever since. Oh my gosh. So we're talking people conflating this amazing single pot distilled spirit from Japan that has four GIs, four WTO appellations, just like champagne and scotch with the green bottle stuff, which is basically vodka with sweetener in it. Wow. And, and that is horrible for the show. It's an own goal of epic proportions. Right. And that's, that's purely the shochu makers doing that. Wow. I mean, the, the, the soju makers and industry had nothing to do with that. They're not forcing makers to do this. This is a loophole. Wow. So the entire country is misinformed because those labels travel all across the states. It's a nightmare. So when we go to the states to educate people about this category, we're not starting from a from zero. We're starting from negative territory, right? In terms of so understanding, interesting. It's so interesting. Um, and and one aspect of the your kind of process is what's called koji. Talk about that because I don't think all of our listeners will understand, you know, what that fermentation process, it, you know, what it does, how it works. Share a little bit yeah. of that as well as, as kind of the root for this, right? Absolutely. You're spot on with that. Koji is Japan's national mold. I know that's incredibly national sexy. Mold. <laughs> so it is. It's, it's so and <laughs> it is. It is part and parcel with pretty much all of the words, you know, about Japanese culinary culture. We're talking soy sauce. Miso, sake, people who cook, mirin, of course, shochu and awamori, also now koji whiskey and other koji spirits. Um, it is without koji, this mold, you do not have Japanese food as we know it. Got it. What is what is koji? Well, basically, it's a a master of converting starches or complex carbohydrates into sugar. And when you have sugar, then you can ferment. But if you just have starch, yeast does it. Yeast, which is responsible for fermentation, yeast can't handle starch generally. It's too complex. Got it. So you need some method to go from starch to sugar. One of those methods in the beer and whiskey world is malting. But in this part of the world, there's a completely different way to get there. And that's with koji. And it's a naturally occurring microorganism that is all over the place in this part of the world. And if you leave starch, if you leave starch, sort of steamed starch sources out there, koji may congregate. And if that happens, you'll have rather than grains, you'll have little sugar balls, much like grapes in a, in essence that wow. you can then ferment with. So it's it's so important to really uh, Japanese culinary culture. Love that. Um, so back to your story a bit. So at what point did you decide we're going to go from being educators and share the word about this really interesting beverage product to we're going to make our own and start something? What did that look like? Oh, boy, it was it was a hell of a process. I mean, it was <laughs> it was there were lawyers involved and there were, you know, there were tears and there was <laughs> tears. You know, yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot of, it was a long process, but basically we were, we wanted to do it right. And that, that means pre-planning a lot of stuff, everything from who, who you're maybe going to be distributing through who are your targets to how are you going to do the design and the branding, and the marketing and that whole thing. And how much is that going to cost? And, it was just generally a whole bunch of things that I'm not very good at. And so, <laughs> so you know, it you was, do, how did you figure that out? Did you get some help? 
We did. Well, you know, we had some practice and the way that we had some practice is first, we set up a company over here in Fukuoka, Japan, that is a both ways importer exporter. And we had some practice with sending shochu products to um, Europe. And then we also practice importing. We have we've been importing some products from Europe and the United States. So we got it. We got the hang handle on a lot of the regulatory stuff, a lot of just the the nitty gritty and small print of everything that goes into establishing a brand and pricing it out and right. figuring out just all of the things that are going to, are going to wreck your margins. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you can, if you can get the margins right, right from the beginning, that's like half of the battle. And I'm, I'm not the type of person who necessarily thinks about money first. And I think that's maybe a good thing. Um, but you do need the people who do, right. you need the people who think <laughs> about money first because you have to get those margins, right? Um, so talk about, then, Hey, you know, on that topic, yeah. share with our audience yeah. a little bit about what goes into the margins, the pluses and the minuses, just, just share some of the, the things you got to think about in terms of looking well, at the for, numbers. For us, just in terms of getting, um, product to leave this country, uh, Japan, these are spirits, and some of you will know that spirits are, they don't play by the same rules right. as beer and wine and sake. It's, a, right. un, it's not a level playing field. It's way harder. Everybody hates spirits on a governmental, government level. Spirits are the boogeyman, so they're regulated way more strictly. And so you got to think about our setup is a little complicated. We're full service, meaning we do all the design, we purchase all of the packaging supplies, we send them to the distillery, they just fill the bottle, slap the labels on it, package it nicely and safely, palletize it, and then we go and pick it up. Got it. So we make it very hard for our friends in the industry to say no, no matter how small they are, no matter how daunting export seems, right. we make it so easy for them that they're just like, well, this is not it's a huge problem. To so we have to factor, our, our timeline starts so much before when putting the product in the bottle occurs. It's months before that. So we've got all of these logistical issues before and after packaging that are a mile and a half long. So you factor in all of those costs, plus you've got to figure, especially with the complications of finding containers and all the international shipping, sure. there's delays and demurrage and how you're just, even if it's not your fault, if your container's sitting there at the port for an ex excess amount of time, they're going to charge you for it. Right. And they do not care. <laughs> they don't care. And uh, right. so you have to, we've had to find little tricks to get our, to basically break our, our containers out of prison almost, like to get in there early and skip. It's, it's a, there, there are ways to do it, but you, it's hard to plan for these things, but I guess um, that, and then, then you think about this, like your product lands in New Jersey. You want to sell it in California. Right. There are different <laughs> get taxes it across all the along the way. Oh my gosh. The, the transportation. If you want to have the same price in both states, in New York, New Jersey, and California, that's going to take some balancing and some pre-planning. Right. So I guess what I'm saying here is, and I think this alludes to a question that you you partially asked before, is you need good people around you. You need you need people that know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> Right. Because a couple of former academics who just happen to be super passionate about the their friends' drinks are are not going to cut it, my right. <laughs> gentlemen. No I don't think you need me to tell you that. Sure. <laughs> now I can imagine. So where are you now, and like, what does the next six to twelve months look like? So we've we've uh, gone through um, a couple of containers and a half already. It's gone at we 
have only been in market for a little while. We were delayed by a year thanks to the current situation. Sure. COVID. And <laughs> yeah. And so, but we both, we both went in, we both went and did a, uh, Stephen was in market for four weeks and I was in market for six this summer. We were ping ponging back and forth across the States and we've worked really hard on education, both in terms of educating our distributor partners and consumers at large as to what this category of spirits is. And that is something that we were, you know, if I'm honest about it, the pandemic was helpful because it gave us so much Zoom time. And right, people, right. especially at the beginning, were just they were just sitting around and they didn't have anything to do. So they were happy to get on a call right. and Why not? learn about these products. So sure. they were desperate for anything that was new. Right. So we were kind of lucky there in a sense, despite the delays and despite the costs that were associated with that. Sure. And wow. it's been it's been just an a relentless push of just educating, tasting, and just getting people to understand this in you know, in their own, on their own terms. Right. And do you go after the consumer in terms of brand awareness and marketing, or do you go after the distributors and the bars? You know what I mean? Like how do you, you, you shift your focus, you know what I'm saying? In terms of building we, brand and building awareness and building presence. I think one of the most important lessons that I've learned is that you, you really need to, at least in this industry, you have to have a really good relationship and really strong trust with your distributor. We're an importer. Totally. We, we don't we don't succeed without our distributor. And we're lucky because we teamed up with a, an amazing distributor. And to the point that a couple of their their spirit specialists and, and senior vice presidents almost feel like family to us now. Oh, that's cool. We have spent that's a good situation. It, we were so fortunate. Um, and that might not have happened without the pandemic. There was just right. enough. It was the ability to schedule weekly calls, educational calls, checkup calls. That has been huge. And we could, we can't, we certainly can't do it without them. I, I know in in this industry, the the distributor takes a lot of heat, both from the importer and and from the the retailer. Our we we got nothing but praise, nothing but love for uh, the team that we've been able to assemble. And so that's been huge. And so the 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 main focus has been educating the, our distributor and their sales team because at the end of the day, if they're not excited about the products, then we're we're in trouble. Right. So key. I always love to ask our um, guests for some observations, some lessons learned, some things that um, you know you'd share with our other entrepreneurs that are listening. And you you're in this now a couple of years and, and growing lots of runway in front of you. As you think about some of your biggest lessons learned in, in your experience, what would be two or three things you'd share with our audience? Two or three things. Well, I think it's safe to sweat the details on packaging. Oh, okay. All right. So I to unpack that for us. One thing that we've seen not go particularly well in our industry is just taking a non-localized product and plopping it down almost in the same packaging, just with a few extra English words on it in on shelves in the U.S. without really any help, assistance, shelf talkers, no other explanation, no backup material. And it doesn't work. Um, there's too much risk involved and a consumer who doesn't know what shochu is or thinks that it might be soju is not going right. to buy it. Um, so it's just, they're going to, it's just so much easier to, to grab a bottle of wine or grab a, right. a bottle of bourbon. So we've really sweat the details on that. Um, we feel like we've, and we've spent a ton of time with 
label and package design, also website design and the backing material that our accounts or our customers can, the data and material they can access through the website, those sorts of things. I feel like that is something that has become just at, at every at every juncture, we realize again how important that is. Got it. And so that's huge. Another thing that I think is important is that when you're building your team, you do need people with experience in certain ways, and you're going to have to pay. Um, and I don't think that's, I think you should. Uh, the thing that you hire for, in my opinion, is hire, you hire for culture. You hire based on what you're trying to achieve and what is important to you. And we have been very fortunate there as well. Uh, we, the name of our company is Honkaku Spirits, and we we mostly just borrowed that word from from Honkaku Shochu, which is the old school style, the traditional 500 year old style of Shochu. Sure, and it means authentic. And and some of the best advice that I got a, a few years ago when I first started going in, when I first became a quote unquote business person, which I don't feel I am yet. <laughs> right. um, I I got the advice like do things. Do things in a way that are authentic to you. And that re really resonated with me. It made so much sense. Me as a person, as someone who I, I really enjoy being around other people, conversing with other people. And I, and I, and I love the, the team aspect of things. I love, sure. I love it when other people succeed. I love being there when other people succeed. I love being part of that, that feeling. And I think that that's something that, that you can you can instill into your company if you decide that that's part of your cult your company's dna then then own that and and put it right out there in front make everybody aware of it right and i think it i think good things can happen especially if you if you invite everybody into that collaboration wow i love that so cool Man, it's been so great uh, meeting you and hearing about, you know, some of how you, you know, shifted in your career and how you're building this brand. And I mean, there's, like I said, so much runway in front of you and so much opportunity for growth. Uh, you got to come back on down the road and share more stories with us. And, um, and but I'm, I'm super excited for you. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you very much, Justin. I would love to come back and, and thank you for your time. It's a, it's a true pleasure to be able to share with your audience. Yeah. And before we go, share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you, buy product, et cetera. Okay. Um, well, we are Honkaku Spirits and we're on the, the main, more, the, the more uh, established, I guess, social network, networking services. So that would probably be Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, no disrespect to TikTok or many of the others that I'm forgetting. <laughs> right. it's so um, also, yeah, honkakuspirits.com. And honkakuspirits.com is one of the best places to go in, in terms of finding our products. If you want, there's a GPS locator on each of the product pages that says find a retailer. And so it, you can either plug in a, a zip code or it'll just use whatever your, your IP address is to to show you where our products are in bottle shops, bars, and restaurants nearby. Um, another place that you can go is Drizzly, and that will point you in the right direction, of course. But uh, yeah, just we are we are we're new. We're we're just getting started out. We're small. That's and we're scrappy. I love so it. Keep <laughs> keep an eye out for us, man. Honkaku I love spirits. it. Uh, it's so great to have you on. And again, we'll have you on back back on down the road, man. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Justin. 
The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.